Um, thank you all for spending your evening with us. We have some some really, really good judges um, here today to talk to us about what the Travis County Courts are looking like um, in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic here in Travis County. Um, and as always, when we do these, uh, we have a little poll just to, you know, do a check to see how everybody's doing. So we'll take a few minutes to let some more people get in um, and take the poll and then we'll get started. Um, and today's host will actually be Amanda Wu, who's the executive director of um, Texas Fair Defense Project. Um, and they are so kind to be our fiscal sponsors. So they take care of all our finances so we don't have to. And a good friend and longtime member of the Austin Justice Coalition, Kathy Mitchell, who's with um, Just Liberty. Um, so we are in good hands today for uh, um, not only an educational um, conversation, um, but also, you know, just a good update about one, what these courts do, because um, a lot of people are not aware of what these courts um, actually do um, and how they are responding to um, the coronavirus pandemic. And hopefully things we can keep um, moving forward as we continue to evaluate what normal is um, and, and how we can restructure what, what normal is moving forward to make sure we have um, courts and judges that reflect the progressive values of Travis County. So um, thank you all again for being here. I think this is going to be a really good conversation. Um, and to get started, uh, I, think it's, I think it's best to um, one, address the, 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 the shooting that happened Friday. Uh, we know that a lot of people have questions and concerns about that. Um, but I think it's important to note that um, these judges are not, um, um, uh, you know, they're not obliged to speak on that. Um, that is not in their purview. That case uh, will probably not go to any of the courts that is going to be handled, how it's going to be handled through the legal system. Um, the best way possible to make sure that um, truth and justice prevails at all costs. Um, so, you know, I think it's important to name that. And, and, you know, we don't want anybody thinking that these judges are not aware of um, the things that are going on in our community. I'm, I'm sure that they are more than aware. Um, and we also don't want people thinking that we, the Austin Justice Coalition and Texas Fair Defense Project and Just Liberty um, are blind to what's going on in the community. So, um, you know, I think as, as that rolls out, we are, you know, more than glad to provide the community with updates and facts as we get them. Um, but this particular platform tonight will not be um, appropriate for that. So I hope people can understand it. And if you have any questions, please feel free to um, DM me privately so we can, you know, get you the best information we need or any resources you need to um, um, ask people to follow that case. Um, secondly, I think it's appropriate to start off with um, Judge Eckhart, who's the Travis County judge, um, who has done a tremendous job of, of trying to keep um, Travis County residents safe. Um, and I think she's done a really good job with that. So Judge Eckhart, you know, we would just like to start with you. Um, I think it's also important. Um, again, I think this is really um, a, a time to educate people on what your position and what your title is for Travis County. Um, and then, you know, feel free to give any updates that you see fit as we move into, you know, it, it, it seems that Texas is trying to slowly roll um, open some businesses. Um, your thoughts and opinions on that and, um, you know, how you're using your, your seat and your power and your privilege to, um, to, 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 to maneuver 
um, Governor Abbott's orders and, 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 and things of that nature. So um, at this time, Judge Eckhart, floor is yours. Sure, thank you, Chaz. Uh, uh, just to give you all an overview, I mean, I'm, I'm uh, up on the Brady Bunch board with a whole bunch of judges who actually run a docket. I don't, I'm the chief executive of the county and I uh, preside over the commissioner's court and we basically deal with money and countywide policies. Um, so as an example, it was the Travis County Commissioner's Court decision to fund a public defender's office. Um, and so thank you all who uh, are involved in this panel, but also those who are watching who uh, helped us get a public defender's office after um, probably 40 years of, of talking about it, uh, we're finally doing it. And so thank you all so very, very much for your advocacy and, uh, uh, and your support in putting that together. Um, so as far as COVID-19 goes, uh, I'm happy to report that, the, again, because of a tremendous collaborative uh, in Travis County, um, Travis County um, residents have embraced a stay home, work safe order, knowing full well that there was really no enforcement mechanism in a stay home, work safe order. It was just in our best interest from a, a public health standpoint. So consequently, we've gotten a, a reduction in our infection rate of 94%, according to a third-party analysis by the University of Texas. What that translates to is even though we have seen um, uh, more than 1,500 cases and we are now right at about 50 deaths in Travis County, um, and uh, we're not through it yet, this is uh, so much better than what we anticipated. We anticipated our hospital capacity being completely overrun and to have experienced uh, closer to a thousand deaths at this point. Um, so we're doing well because uh, we're all doing our part. Um, so I really, really appreciate y'all's help there. Uh, we are uh, at the governor's uh, directive. We are opening certain businesses at 25%. That's uh, voluntary starting on Friday. Um, I would strongly suggest to folks, however, that if you have uh, health, um, uh, if you have a compromised health system, um, or if you have uh, an older um, parent living with you, or if you have a child or a roommate or uh, a domestic partner who is medically compromised, um, I would strongly, strongly urge you to continue only doing essential activities outside the household and to continue practicing social distancing uh, and wearing uh, face masks when you're outside. Um, this isn't like the flu. Uh, I know a lot of folks have said that it is. It's, it's not. It has a higher death rate um, and uh, it is also highly contagious from, well, I wouldn't want to say highly contagious. Um, that would be a term of art. It's contagious. Um, from people who are exhibiting no symptoms whatsoever. So um, be careful, take care of yourself, uh, love one another, find new ways to connect um, that don't, uh, uh, um, um, that, that allow for social distancing and the kind of hygiene necessary to keep our infection rates down. By practicing social distance, you may be saving someone's life that you don't even know. So, um, with that, let's go over to the court system because we've seen tremendous adaptation uh, almost overnight in the court system. Um, and I can't thank you all uh, who are running dockets uh, enough 
for your willingness to go to really some, some tremendous adaptations very, very quickly. Um, and we have more adaptations to come because, of course, we will have to bring trials back at some point. Just as we can't stay in our houses forever, we also can't uh, um, suppress our trial docket forever. Um, so um, that's all I have to say. Thank you so much, Chaz, for asking me to speak. Now I'll listen and learn. Thank you so much, um, Judge Eckhart. And again, I, th I think you've been doing an amazing job and just thank you so much for your leadership um, in this crisis. This is truly a, um, a very unprecedented time. And I think you and Mayor Adler and, and city management has done um, a remarkable job and, you know, just keeping Austin weird and safe at the same time. So um, with that, I will turn it over to our host this evening, Amanda Woog and Kathy Mitchell, and you all take it away. Well, I think um, I want to start by asking for each of our judges and in whatever order you want to introduce yourself and just give our audience just like a two minute version of what your court does. Because you all actually have some very different courts with very different things that you're in charge of. And I think before we started with Q&A, it might actually be useful for people to understand that a little better. So I would invite Judge Grizard to start, please. Defer to one of the district judges to begin first, and I'll uh, call upon whichever one of them to go first. And I'm the employee judge, so is it right that I should go there? I'll be happy to uh, go first. Uh, my name is Cliff Brown, and I'm the presiding judge of the 147th District Court. Um, and this is a court that, uh, as all the district court, um, here, uh, the most serious of felony cases uh, in our community. And um, we adjudicate those uh, cases. Uh, we uh, strive to make sure that every person that comes before us um, has a, uh, a proceeding that is fair, that's uh, just and impartial and that everybody gets treated uh, fairly and with dignity and respect. Um, I can say this though, uh, with respect to this particular uh, situation, um, as Judge Eckhart um, said, we've had made some serious adaptations, adaptations to uh, what Chaz said is an unprecedented uh, situation. And one of the best things we did was that we got started early. And so we recognized early that we have to do our level best uh, to create a, a, a system in, in getting uh, everybody that can safely be gotten out of jail, out of jail. Uh, because our fear, as uh, everyone's fear, is that, that there would be uh, an outbreak in the jail, which would be catastrophic. And so some of the things that we did to that end, um, we um, signed a standing order. Um, we signed a standing order um, basically, uh, presumptively, uh, granting release on personal bonds on certain nonviolent, low-level felony offenses. Um, we uh, signed an order that rescinded the execution of warrants on that same category of low-level uh, felony offenses. And I'll let Judge Kasurik uh, speak about this, but I know that she placed a call very early on to uh, Chief Manley um, asking him to have his officers use extreme discretion in uh, even arresting folks for uh, certain 
nonviolent, low-level felony offenses so as not to even get people into the system that you'd have to release them. Um, individually, I think all of us have um, looked at our uh, probation uh, dockets. So we're instructing our probation department to not even approach us with um, uh, a, a warrant uh, on a probation case uh, for, you know, well, we never really uh, issued warrants for technical violations, but not even for, um, you know, for any offense, really, unless it was going to create a safety risk for a particular, uh, maybe complaining witness or for the general public at large. And we, these are very particularized decisions we have to make on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, you know, the other thing is that every single day, and I, can, I know I speak on behalf of all the judges, we scrub our dockets every day. So we pull up our dockets, we have to know who's in jail, why they're in jail, how long they've been in jail, uh, and we have to do this with the engagement of not only the uh, prosecutors, but the defense bar to make sure that uh, they're, you know, on an ongoing basis, approaching us um, for bonds to get people out where we can, and also working still to, uh, you know, continue to work and resolve the cases, however that would be. Um, and so, you know, even before this happened, um, the one thing I, I can say is that without question, the one constant thing in life is change. And we've all you know, understand that. And, and we appreciate the, um, the, uh, the incense we get from Amanda and Kathy and Chaz to change our criminal justice system, you know? And I'm proud of the fact that we now, um, all of us collaboratively have uh, gotten to the place where we're gonna have the first um, public defender office. Um, we still are working on a um, regular basis with committees to have 24 seven magistration that is contested, that every individual who is arrested in Travis County will have an attorney uh, with them as they approach a judge from the very beginning. Um, and so these are the things that we've done and we're, we're proud of the changes that have been made. Um, even the, um, you know, going back, and I've been on the bench for 10 years now, and um, I, I, the, the Capital Area Private Defender Service is not perfect, but it certainly is a incredible improvement in terms of the delivery of indigent defense uh, here in Travis County to our most vulnerable population. And so we'll continue to do all those things and, and try to work our way through uh, this uh, pandemic. And, you know, I think that what we will find and have found is that there are certain things that have happened that we've been forced to adapt to that are good things and will continue to do, um, like the virtual dockets and not having to uh, transport uh, inmates and um, th there's a host of things that um, relative to warrants that um, I think there'll be a lot of uh, good that comes from this and there will be a silver lining. Thank you. Uh, good, good evening. My name is Brad Uruthia and I'm judge of the 450th District Court. I just want to echo some of what Judge Brown said. Um, all of the judges and I'm not aware of any judges didn't go through their docket when this thing started and just took a second look at all those cases and continues to do that. And one of the things he said that, that um, I think he, we, he talked about doing things that, that, or seeing, trying new things and continuing some of those things. And that's one of those things I think that we all can admit that we, we need to do more of, and that's just going through our docket, 
uh, regularly. We did we do it all the time because we see these people regularly that come before us. So we kind of ask our question when they come before us, uh, why is this person in jail and do they need to be in jail? But there's nothing that prevents us from doing that, you know, even when they're not in front of us and doing that on a regular basis. And so that's just something that we continue, we can continue to do and practice. Um, I've been a big fan of the virtual bonds that have come, on, come over. That's something I think we might be able to keep as the, uh, to look at that paperwork without having a lawyer to come uh, drive to the, to the courthouse and talk to us. They can give us a call and we can see that paperwork and probably move things a lot uh, faster. Those are things that I've liked a lot. Um, and it, you know, maybe we can do some stuff virtually uh, uh, with regard to uh, the, the inmates. However, I think it is still important though that they get their day in court and can be in front of us to the extent that we, we do that. Although though I, I'm very aware that we could probably do that with people who maybe we're gonna be re released that day. Why are we gonna transport them if we can just tell them virtually, hey, I've looked at your case or we looked at your probation, I'm ready to let you back out on probation with these caveats rather than transporting them. I'm sure they just like to be released from the jail than spending a whole extra half a day having to be transported back to the jail to get released. Some of those things that we can certainly look at. So, um, but I do wanna thank uh, Jazz and Amanda and Kathy. Uh, you know, you come with us all the time and, and it forces us to look at what we're doing and um, change is hard for everyone, but it's good that we're, we have an ongoing dialogue because you know justice shouldn't be still, it shouldn't be static. And you think about things that we don't think about sometimes and we don't always agree, but we're always glad to listen. And I, that's one thing I've told Amanda all the time. I know Kathy, you and I haven't had the conversations that Amanda and I have, but we talk about that all the time that I'm always ready to listen and hear and as long as you're, you understand we're not always going to agree. There's going to be stuff we're going to agree on probably more than, than we thought if we didn't have that conversation. Thank you. I need to, I guess, since we're doing all the felony courts, I'll go next. My name is Julie Kasurik. I'm judge of the 390th District Court. And like Judge Yerutia and Judge Brown, I am preside over felony cases. There are nine, nine district courts in Travis County that handle felony cases. And we're lucky enough to have Judge Grizzard handling um, jail cases and our mental health docket. I will say, I think there's one other thing that wasn't mentioned. From the start, CAPSD, our indigent defense provider at the time, told all of their attorneys to immediately approach all of the judges with a personal bond. Doesn't matter what the case is, doesn't matter if they said no before. So we initially, we had so many bonds coming through. It was like two weekends where we were working 24 seven, um, reviewing bonds and letting people out. We took the population down from 2200 um, down to 1600 in a matter of three weeks. That's how many people were released. Um, so, and that's continuing. We are so cognizant of people being in jail um, we're doing our virtual dockets and those pleas are out at the jail. I see the um, prosecutors, um, the plea bargains are much less than they were before because the DA's office too is trying to get people out of the jail so that we can, and there's not as the arrests are down. What did we say last week? 19 30%? What did we say last week? Cliff, you're on mute. 
You're on mute. I thought it was like 40 something. Yeah. Oh, it's 49.9. That's right. There's so many percentages going around. So the, um, the bookings were down 49.9%. And I think that is something to be proud of. Um, I will sell, tell you, I'm going last week, we talked with Chaz and um, Kathy and some other um, community um, people. And we talked, they wanted to know about our mental health population. So we have Judge Grizzard here today. I want to tell you that our mental health felony court and um, misdemeanor mental health courts were created by people from the community from Appleseed back in 2003 um, with, when Appleseed came to me and another judge and expressed a need to pay attention to mental health cases. And I think that we're continuing to do that. And I'm proud of the way we're handling those cases. It's, very, it's a um, very important cause to Judge Grizzard and Judge Hohengarten, and they are both going to address those um, needs. Thank you. My name is Leon Grizzard. I'm a district court magistrate, meaning that I am appointed by the district judges who handle felony cases to do a variety of day-to-day -day legal, I mean, uh, judicial chores on their behalf and under their supervision. Uh, the things that are significant, I think, for uh, this meeting tonight is that I had preside over both what is called the state jail felony impact docket, which is a docket of people both in and out of jail who were accused of state jail felony level theft and possession cases, a few other things as well. Additionally, I have a uh, just a docket of inmates in jail that is referred to as magistrates docket. And those are, again, nonviolent, lower level felony uh, cases with people who have not been released on bond. Uh, the idea with all of these cases for people in jail, a lot of times those people can get released on bond. A lot of times at the beginning of the case, they're, they don't have access to their phones to get their phone numbers, their references have not returned calls to pretrial services and so forth. And so it takes the lawyers a few days to do some legwork uh, to bring those bond applications to me. A lot of those people do wind up getting released on bond after a matter of days. I also handle a lot of mental health matters for the, uh, the, the uh, district courts. I have a docket which is just referred to as specialty docket, which are a docket of uh, people accused of felonies, both in jail and out of jail. Uh, and uh, that the ones that are out of jail are generally handled on something like a drug court type of approach, not all the bells and whistles, but appearing before the judge on a regular basis. Their lawyers are speaking to the prosecutor about the things that they are doing to show that they ought to have a more favorable as opposed to a less favorable uh, disposition of, of their case. A lot of those cases do wind up getting dismissed and they appear before the judge on a regular basis for me to monitor their progress, to support them if they're doing well, to try to get them on track if, if they are not. Um, the people in jail, we are always looking, trying to find a release plan for them. Many of them are transient. Many of them have been uh, not on medications that they really ought to be taking in order to maintain their stability. 
and there's a process in, in that. The lawyers that handle those cases who are appointed all are very experienced and are working uh, all the time trying to find release plans for those individuals. <clears throat> Another thing that I do is I handle the cases of everybody who has been uh, adjudged to be incompetent to stand trial on their cases and are either released in many instances to go to an outpatient competency restoration program or they have to remain in jail to go to one of the state hospitals. That is a big, big problem uh, because the state hospitals, number one, don't have the bed space starting out during the pandemic. They are not taking as many people uh, and so it's very, very hard. We have something, the, that list of people waiting to go to the hospitals is much lower than it has been. The latest report I looked at from a week ago said we were really down to 50 people uh, right now that are on the list to go to the hospital. And, um, uh, but they're just stuck in jail in the, in the meantime. One's accused of serious felonies, may have to wait for over a year in order to get admissions to a state hospital. And so that is a big problem. Thank you. Garden, do you want to go next to discuss further discussion of mental health dockets and then I can discuss the overall county courts? Sure. Um, so I'm uh, Nancy Hohen Garden and I'm the judge of county court at law five and um, all the different county courts at law have or most of us have a special docket. Mine is um, the mental health dockets. Um, and so what that means is that individuals that are um, incarcerated uh, and are coded with having a mental health disorder on the misdemeanor side are set on what we call the special reduction docket. And that docket um, is typically Tuesday, Thursdays in terms of initial setting dates, um, both before the virus and now, um, we are moving those cases to days other than Tuesday, Thursday, so that they can be expeditiously released if um, they're getting a back time sentence. Um, there are a couple other dockets. Uh, I have an incompetent docket as well. And so any person that's found incompetent to stand trial, I monitor those cases. And then I have what's called the mental health diversion docket. Uh, all of those individuals are out of jail and it's a pretrial diversion docket that results in a dismissal. Uh, that docket only meets once a month. Um, during the virus, we have just um, not met. Um, I'm not quite sure when we will meet again, um, but I have signed dismissals for individuals on that docket while we've been uh, waiting because we know that they're, uh, they've met the terms of the agreement. Dismiss one today. Um, so um, I'm a part of the rotation uh, during this time to do afternoon dockets for the county courts. Um, very graciously, the other county courts have allowed me uh, and my staff to move folks from the mental health docket that were ready to plead to that two o'clock docket. Um, we do have a lot of people in custody on mental health cases. 
Um, my numbers are much higher by virtue of that. Um, I will say though that I am signing more dismissals than I've ever signed and the county attorney has elected not to prosecute cases um, in a degree that I've never seen before. So they are very cognizant of the importance of not prosecuting folks at this time um, unless the nature of the offense really calls for it. Um, when we first started having, um, when we first knew uh, that we were going to have issues with getting people uh, out of jail and out of custody, I did ask the county attorney's office to review the folks that were incompetent to stand trial on the misdemeanor level and, um, and ask them if there were any that had already been declared incompetent that were still in the jail waiting for a bed at the hospital, whether they would dismiss them. And they, and they did dismiss uh, several of those cases. Um, so while our overall numbers of individuals that are being held for competency restoration is lower than usual, it is, it is still an, uh, it is still difficult for all of us who work on the mental health dockets to live with that in a way. Our options are very limited. As Judge Grizzard said, um, the hospital is not taking as many people because they are having to spread out their beds, if you will. Um, and so that plays a role in what the county attorney elects to do in a particular case. Um, so I think that that's a general kind of um, explanation of the dockets. I, I would prefer to just wait and see if people had individual questions. Um, and so I'll just pass it off to Judge Earl. Uh, thank you. Thank you, um, Ch Chaz and Kathy and Amanda for including me today. Um, I think the judges have gone over a lot of this already, but from the misdemeanor perspective, um, all the misdemeanor, I'm the, my name's Elizabeth Earl, I'm the judge presiding of county court law number seven. I'm also the administrative law judge, I think, at the county courts is what my official title would be. And I also uh, cover the DWI court, which is a special court that Judge Hohengarten mentioned this that some of the, the uh, county courts at law judges handle. And um, I'm continuing to do all those uh, positions while in quarantine, of course. We, um, on the county courts, each judge gets a list of the cases that they have scheduled in their docket, I mean, in their, in their courts. Um, I, get, I got mine this morning, I went through it, uh, which I do every morning, and I send to my prosecutor that's assigned to my court. And the cases that we determined if there's a felony hold on them or if there's an ICE hold on them, on some of those, the county attorney's office, since the county attorney's office represents the county on misdemeanor cases and the district attorney's office handles cases on the felony cases, the county attorney assigned to my court will go through and make the decision whether they want to pursue with the misdemeanor charges. If there's a felony pending, oftentimes they'll just dismiss or decide not to pursue charges. 
Um, of the cases that were on my docket, there was only one that did not have any other thing holding that person. And that person uh, was, was arrested last night and then this morning was issued, was given a bond. So I think that all the courts, um, we have daily dockets. Uh, Judge Hohengarten mentioned that. We have daily dockets that are the bond review docket. So we are able to go through all the misdemeanor cases daily uh, to make sure people are, are not in custody for a misdemeanor only charge. We do have a felony, um, I'm sorry, a family violence court that's specifically for family violence charges. And that court has most of their cases set on Wednesdays, but we handle them all throughout the week as well. I think that Judge Hohengarten mentioned and all the other judges will, will also say that we receive bond paperwork dismissals, um, release cards uh, to get signed daily, um, starting first thing in the morning um, till you know pa past midnight. Sometimes I'm signing things uh, to make sure that the jail gets that information as as immediately as they possibly can. I know that uh, there were some other questions that I think have popped up on some of the um, on the chat, so I'll pass on to Amanda or Kathy uh, to ask any of the judges specifically any further questions. Yes, the chat has been very lively. We also had some questions that we had kind of thought out ahead of time. Uh, thankfully, you all have actually already started to answer some of the questions that we had laid out for this discussion today. So I'm going to actually j jump over to the chat and ask something that I think a lot of people have been wondering about in terms of how you all are handling cases where a person may have done something minor nonviolent offense today, but somewhere in their past, they have something that might meet the governor's sort of non-legalistic language of, of a violent prior. Um, are, how are you looking at people who may have something in their past that might meet the criteria of the judges or the governor's orders uh, how are you matching all of these things up and doing something for that person who today did something relatively minor? And if I, I'm just gonna hop onto that. Hi everyone, thank you Chaz for putting this on and thanks everyone for being here. But to add to Kathy's question, um, you all filed an amicus in the case last week um, challenging the governor's executive order You know that kind of laid out some of the reasoning for believing it's unconstitutional. So I also wanna frame it and this idea that you know the Travis County judges have said they believe it's unconstitutional and so how are you dealing with it in your individual courts um, you know kind of knowing that it's incredibly problematic okay well I'll, I'll jump in and um, first of all um, the Supreme Court uh, recently uh, issued a ruling uh, just uh, temporarily with respect to it um, the order and while they sided with the governor, um, it was kind of conflicting in what they said. Essentially, they were saying that, you know, obviously you have to follow the constitution to do your job. But the, the encouraging thing is they said that, you know, through just judicial immunity, you, you, you cannot be criminally prosecuted. But then they go on to say that the order can be enforced. So the good news is that we all take our constitutional oath seriously. And we review each of these cases on a very, very individual, particular, particularized basis. And so 
um, the, the order in itself um, said nothing about what the amount of the bond is, okay? Just said you can be released on personal bond. Um, and the order specifically gave um, exception with respect to uh, health reasons why someone should be out. And um, I know that we have all, speaking to my colleagues every day, um, you know, we, you know, use those exceptions and we uh, use those exceptions within the confines of the discretion that we uh, give to these cases on an everyday basis. So when someone is, and you know, I can give a great example, somebody who um, was uh, a, young, a young kid who's convicted, not convicted, uh, uh, alleged to have committed a robbery, um, but has a very limited criminal history. So on its face, that, that is a, a bond that, you know, um, cannot be signed pursuant to the governor's order. However, I know looking at and having, you know, experience in this arena that I can see and envision um, that in, in a normal situation, that would be a bond that would be granted uh, with the right conditions. And, you know, um, especially when you don't find the community be at risk or anything like that. And so in a situation like that, I can set the bond accordingly that to a amount that I know that uh, having, um, you know, um, counsel with the uh, defense counsel in the prosecution, an amount that that person can make and the person gets out and the order's not violated. So, you know, those are the types of things that we do. We can also set very low bonds. And if, like the example Judge Brown gave, if you wanted to make sure that that individual was released, you know, we have the discretion to lower the bond to $100, or if it's at 40000 we can lower it if we think that's the right thing to do. And I, I know that that's what I'm doing. I'm exercising my discretion best to my best ability in every bond case to, to make sure that I want to me the same result. I, I, I want to see the same result that I would do. If I would let somebody out, out pre COVID, I would like to let them out now. And I will usually find a way to do it. And can I, can I just add uh, piggyback on to something I saw in the chats that, that is related to the governor's order. Somebody asked about, and it is related to this subject. Somebody asked about good time credit and how that's been affected mm -hmm. on, on a lot of these cases. And so one of the things I always look at is like, for instance, I have a docket tomorrow and, and, and I have all these, these folks that are coming to, uh, before me tomorrow virtually. And I like to look at, the, at the, how much time that person has in jail and inquire as to, to the state hey, is your intent for this person to get out? Because you realize that you made this offer and the person doesn't have enough time. So go back and look and see what your offer is to make sure that that's your intent, that you, you want to get this guy out of jail. I want to make sure that that person gets the benefit of the bargain because sometimes the state isn't looking at, well, it was two for one. Now it's not two for one anymore, three for one. They might not be getting those credits. And I think you know, that is something we definitely need to look at and just get a little bit more creative and inquire a little bit more because we can't take it for granted that person is going to get um, that good time credit. And they really should get the benefit of the bargain that they're bargaining for, right? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. If, you, if you're willing to give a guy, um, you know, 60 days in, in jail on a misdemeanor reduction case, a case, then why aren't you willing to give him 30 kind of 
field if the point is to get that person out. So sometimes it's just making sure the parties are aware that you're looking. And, and most of the time that everybody's been really good is, yeah, judge, our intent was to get them out. Okay, well, let's reform that deal to make sure that that person gets out. That's, that's you know, a little related to what we're talking about. I know somebody asked about it in the chat about what we were doing about good time credit. That's great. Thank you all, all the judges. Does anyone want to add to that? that there have been I'll, I'll add one little thing. There have been occasions where I know that Judge Earl mentioned this last week, and I've done the same thing that maybe, uh, especially in the beginning, where a defendant pled to 60 days, and then the order came down. Well, we granted a motion for new trial and adjusted his sentence to what he thought it was going to be with his good time. So if it was 60, he got 60 days, and he thought it, he would only be 30, serving 25, we adjusted the we granted the motion for a new trial and sentenced him to 25 days. And that's very creative. And that, that has worked well. And that is just a coordinated effort with the defense attorney and the prosecutor and the court. There's never been an objection that's come through for me when I've granted those motions for a new trial. And I will say that on the uh, cases on my dockets, the DA's office has just been uh, their plea bargain offers are generally the number of calendar days a person has in jail. So the person absolutely is not relying on good time to get out of uh, uh, jail to have completed their, their sentence. And uh, the DA's office has stated, has agreed to motions for new trial on punishment to reduce sentences on cases. And that's been a joint uh, effort of uh, Cap DS and the DA's office. And, and just, oh, go ahead. No, just to add one last thing on that. And that's another thing that, you know, now that TC, uh, TDC and the state jail are not taking people, especially the state jail, you want to look at that real closely and just say, and remind the parties that that person, if you're doing a state jail recommendation, they need to consider whether they can do a 1244A on that. Uh, some of you, I'm not sure if everybody that's listening will know what that means, but essentially doing county time for state jail felony offense make sure the parties are considering that because they're not going to go anywhere and we're going to, and we're going to, and we're going to be, that person's going to be in our jail doing a, a, a state jail sentence. So if it can be resolved on a, on a, on a county time sentence, let's go ahead and do that. Why are we going to sit here and waste uh, this person's time? We don't know how long they're going to be in our jail. We don't know how long TC, uh, TDC is not going to accept folks right. uh, in the state jail. I mean, that, that doesn't work with, with uh, TDC sentences, but it sure can work with state jail sentences. So, uh, you just got to get creative, really creative, I think. So thank you all for that. That was a great discussion. Um, I want to move to another one that's also in the, um, the questions in the chat. Um, there's been a, a lot of concern, and I heard a little, I, I want to start maybe with um, Judge Grizzard about people who are uh, homeless or formerly homeless or have home insecurity, uh, are there people who are still in the jail in whole or in part because they don't have a house to go to, to, you know, to, to COVID safely? And is the county working with the city's programs with the new hotels and residence residential alternatives that are being kind of quickly spun up sure i'll address that um the kind of the short answer is yes and no uh 
being homeless has not been a uh, deal breaker, if you want to call it that, for people getting released on bond for a long time. Uh, I've had people who have are homeless and have been appearing on a monthly basis on my uh, specialty docket of people out of jail uh, with mental health uh, conditions, and many of them make it. Uh, people that have regular access to email, get services through the arch, uh, or something like that, those people absolutely can be released on PR bond. People who are going from um, motel to motel and dealing methamphetamine and stealing people's identities are, maybe, are in my mind, more unstable and less uh, trustworthy to come back to court than what we normally think of or many people think of as the homeless population. Uh, I've only had, since the COVID-19 pandemic has occurred, I've only had one person uh, that uh, I suggested a bond amount uh, that I thought that, that they could make uh, because they fell afoul of the governor's order. Uh, that lawyer just said, well, do you mind if I go talk to some other judge? And I said, absolutely not. That's fine with me. And so that person got out. So I have not had any, anybody who strictly for reasons of money or being homeless has not been able to get out on bond. Seriousness of offense is certainly a factor, and we cannot just completely abandon the idea that the purpose of bond is to ensure the person will come back to court, but I think all of us have uh, weighed that factor much less heavily on the scales in these times than we have be before, uh, and uh, so that's my take on that. I'd like to weigh in a little bit on that if I could. Please. Uh, um, we have been very pleased to have uh, Ms. Phelan with Austin Echo to uh, assist us in the mental health docket. Um, she has uh, been emailing us uh, with when we have folks on the mental health docket with assistance ideas and, um, you know, she has the ability to help people once they're released, um, apply for housing through um, the community housing uh, evaluation and so forth. And so I release people, I mean, if, if a case is going to get dismissed from a homeless person or if they're going to be released on bond, um, for me, it's the, the issue is not so much, are they going to be, are, are they homeless, but rather is their mental health or their mental illness such that they are so severely impacted that they will not come back to court. Um, and most of those people end up being incompetent to stand trial. So it's, it's not because they're homeless, but sometimes it may be because of how ill they are. Um, and I rely on the defense attorneys that are on the mental health wheel or with the Mental Health Public Defender's Office to inform me when their client has 
um, an opportunity to be housed that they might not have had otherwise. We do a lot of what's called a coordinated release. So, for example, the Public Defender's Office has been going out to the jail um, and arranging for a taxi to come pick someone up. Um, I know there was one individual where a treatment facility came out to the jail and uh, picked that person up. So we're trying to, to do everything we can to coordinate um, release releases like that, whether it be to family, to housing, to treatment, whatever we whatever we can do. But I would say that sometimes you just uh, let the person out and kind of I want to say hope we do that too. We yeah. do that too. You do that too. There is a uh, program called the pretrial bonding or the mental health bond program through pretrial services or what people think of. It used to be called the personal bond office. They have four social workers uh, on staff that can help people to access services upon their release. Cap D S has social workers. The mental health public defender's office all, uh, have has social work help as well. And so the availability of that, that uh, handholding and help in accessing services has really made it much easier to make a release decision in favor of people that are uh, both have severe mental health conditions and are homeless as well. Um, so I have a question that's come up in the Q&A in our Zoom and that Kathy and I had, but um, a, a few folks have mentioned um, that Travis County now has a new public defender office and Adiola Ogunkayade started, I believe on April 20th. And um, we're curious how she's been brought into the conversations that are being had right now, whether any of you have talked to her and what opportunities she's had for input um, in how this crisis is being managed. I'll address that briefly. Um, we have all just been kind of in emergency mode and trying to um, reach out to the attorneys that represent the people in jail. And I was concerned that it was going to delay, you know, her being able to work, but I'm happy to hear that she's working remotely now. We have not uh, reached out to her yet, but I feel like that that is a pot. We can do that now that we're We've got our feet on the ground and we've, I feel like we're in so much better shape than we were four weeks ago. Um, but we would like for her to weigh in. If, he, if she has any ideas that can help us through this time, we would, we would welcome it. Because we're looking to see what other jurisdictions are doing as well. I saw on the chat as well, there's, it's just, this is kind of related in a way about jury trials for defendants. We are going to the Supreme Court of Texas is handing down directives to us, and we are supposed to get a directive of what to do with our jail cases um, on May 15th. They're going to give us specific um, guidance as to how to, we can handle these cases and still protect people's constitutional rights. Has anybody else reached out to her? I don't think so. I mean, no, I'm looking forward we, to meeting her. We, we have just, we have been really focusing on what's in front of us. And, um, you know, CAPS DS has really um, stepped up to the plate. And this time they've gotten all of our um, virtual pleas going 
They are the host for them. They've worked tirelessly with the clerk's office to get us up and going. So most of our interaction has been with Bradley Hargis just to get these, these virtual remote proceedings going. I will add this about the, the public defender. You know, her, her, she was originally supposed to be, you know, up and going and hiring people uh, in the month of April. And, you know, she's in a tough spot, too, because she was coming from, from Virginia and come, supposed to be here by now. And that's kind of been put on hold. So she's just so I think from what I understood, she's ramping up. And I think it might be it, it for me anyway, it would be hard for us to or unfair for us to ask her to, to, you know, get in the middle of this and help us with some of this stuff. However, her input's always going to be uh, important. So if she has something she wants to add now, but I don't want to be unfair to her. I want to make sure she gets enough time to ramp up and do everything she's doing. I'm sure she didn't expect all this. Uh, none of us did, but uh, I, I know she wants to be hiring people and I know she wants to be uh, getting her office up and going because she was, you know, they were going to go take cases uh, by the fall, I thought. And now I'm not sure, not sure where that's going to be. I'm not sure. Uh, how this has all slowed that down. Um, so, but obviously her, her input's always welcome. We could always, as I said, do things better. And somebody who has a, a perspective we didn't ever think about, uh, it's always welcome. So I'll ask a follow-up kind of on the same, on a related topic. Um, we've had some reports uh, from, to, from inside the jail to community groups that there are folks who can or should be released, but maybe they're not getting brought forward by their attorney for whatever reason. Um, what, how, how should, if there are people that we want to report to you, how, how, how do you find out about people that need to be released besides from their own attorney? Let me just ask I, I, that. So, so. answer that. Oh. Yeah. Well, go ahead, Nancy. Well, so I regularly get requests from the sheriff's office when someone is taken into custody and they have a serious illness. And that happened before COVID and it happens now. So the sheriff, um, is always concerned about the health of individuals in, in their custody. And um, so it, it actually is not unusual for that to happen. Um, the jail is also sending emails out every morning to me um, and a prosecutor for people that are arrested for just criminal trespass. So we don't absolutely have to rely upon attorneys all the time. Um, the, you know, we, we really work well with the jail medical staff, particularly the mental health staff. They are always helpful in getting us information and getting information to the attorneys. Um, and, and so I, I, I think it's important for everybody to know that, that, that they do do that. But also what I was going to say is, Kathy, that gets back to the, you know, the statement I made up front about scrubbing our dockets. And so every single morning, the first thing I do when I turn my computer on is I go to this quick view and it tells me how many people are in jail, how many jail cases I go to. That's my first stop in the morning. When I get to work, that's the first thing. And so then I, 
you know, talk to my core coordinator who's also working from home. And I'll tell you, we've identified a number of cases um, where um, I'll give you an example of somebody who maybe was on a bond forfeiture, um, but, you know, from like 2016 um, and they're still in jail. Okay. So we contact the, I'll have her contact the attorney to tell them to have that person put on my um, docket on the next available date, because typically what I'll do, or sometimes on the docket or maybe just released, but in a situation like that, I want to typically talk to the person to find out why they didn't come to court, what happened, what was the situation, and we can get them out of jail. Because typically I would say, okay, you know, you got gone for a minute, but now let's get it together and let's get you off this probation. And so we continue to do that. But you're right, sometimes I do have to reach out to the defense attorney to make that happen. And so that's that whole process of knowing your entire docket. And, and, and I've never known my docket more now than ever. And and just to echo what Judge Brown says, I mean, I, I look at my, my jail number my jail cases as well, and I make two phone calls when I'm wondering why is this person still in jail? If I don't know who that person is, why is it still in jail? The two phone calls I'm making is to the state is, what's going on? Have you had any contact from a defense attorney and have you made a recommendation? And the second is to that defense attorney to ask them, why haven't you approached me on a bond on this? And there's been a lot of attorneys over the past month that have gotten a lot of Shocking phone calls early in the morning is why are you not asking me about this guy, especially when I've already looked at it, say on SmartBench, and it's something that I might have, uh, which is a system that we have that we can look at the bond paperwork, we can look at their history. And if it's somebody that I evaluate right away that, hey, I can, you know, he's on my list. I've looked at him. I don't know why they're not getting out of jail. I want to know from that lawyer, why is it that you're not coming to talk to me about letting this person out of jail because I'm ready to do that. And, and that you know, gets the ball rolling pretty quickly when the judge calls you, strangely enough. And really, I'm getting a lot of inmate mail. I read it, and I'm going to I'm going to the office and picking up my mail. And so I've gotten, I've had cases that have come to my attention through their mail. Um, so that's, a, that's an avenue too. But I echo what the judges have said about scrubbing our dockets. But there, if there is someone in the jail that's there and have and we have not if you know a low-level offense that we have not considered we need to know about it and, you know I do want to say this also though Kathy because I don't want to any know where you know we're scrubbing our dockets and we're you know looking at everything and who's in jail and why I don't ever want to leave the impression that attorneys are not zealously advocating for their clients because they really are and I think yeah. the uh, caps the has done a fantastic job. And I've never seen as many bond requests as I have now. I mean, I can tell you, and I'm sure everyone would attest to the fact that, and I think Judge Earl even said, you know, you're looking at bond requests because you can do them automatically at midnight. So those things are constantly going on. Like from the, it, it, you know, it's one of those things where it never stops. Like, so I don't want that impression to be left that you know, although we're being proactive, I don't want anyone to think out there that attorneys are not zealously advocating for their clients because they are. And, and sometimes two or, or two or three times after you've said no. So they're really getting after it. Yeah, so I do. I do commend them. And Bradley Hargis has just done such a wonderful job of getting all this stuff electronically done for us. So I yeah. can't wait. Special, special shout out to Bradley Hargis. Very much so. And, and also, as I said earlier, 
CAPS DS instructed all of the court appointed attorneys to approach us about bonds on every case. Even if we had said no before, um, even if it didn't meet the criteria, they're asking at least, but if there's not an attorney that's not approaching us, we need to know if there's an attorney. Um, so this kind of brings me to a wrap up question that I had, um, which is, it's really, it's great to hear about the zealous advocacy and the work that the judges are all doing to reduce the jail population and the collaboration that's happening. Um, what lessons can we take with us from this crisis to, um, you know, as we're able to hopefully start looking around the corner at some point to the kind of system that we imagine for Travis County going forward? And what can, you know, you as judges and the rest of people in the system kind of carry, what, what processes and policies can you carry with you into the next world order um, that will continue to reduce the jail population and, um, you know, have people out of jail who don't need to be in there for any public safety reason. I think from, I think we're all gonna say, we're gonna meet, we're meeting next week actually to discuss this exact question. I think we're all gonna take everything that we've learned during this crisis and move forward. Um, I, I know that I will every morning continue to look at my numbers and see who I have and who I can get out. I don't think that's gonna change for any of us. Um, and it's a horrible lesson to have to learn right now, but it's, a, it's something that I'm glad that we are working together and it has been a team effort. And I appreciate every judge that has been working so hard on this, as well as the defense attorneys and the prosecutors that have been working overtime. Uh, and, and I'm thinking this is gonna be the same way afterwards. Right, the only thing I was gonna add, and I think I said this last week to Chaz and Kathy and Suki, is that I really think that we can use this to kind of answer your question, um, Amanda, as a time to kind of reimagine, if you will, okay, you know, how we confront like jail depopulation, how we confront release on bonds. And I think we get, you know, barraged all the time from every side, you know, but where we sit, it's a hard job, you know, and I'm not, you know, I'm not like belly aching. It really is because our first priority above everything is to keep this community safe, right? But I think that um, given what's happened now, and so we're under this urgency to get people out of jail because we don't want people to have a death penalty for a theft case, you know what I mean? And so um, I think we have to reimagine, right, just the way we look at it. So what this person might look like on paper, you know, um, but will they come back to court? And so I think the question is really gonna be answered in large part as we go through the summer and we've gotten all these people out of jail who might have otherwise been, you know, high risk type people to come back. But I think that if we, I'm hoping at least if, if we look at it and see like, you know, wow, that person actually came back to court. Now, otherwise maybe under normal circumstances, we not, might not have let them out, but now maybe, you know, we'll see that like we can, you know, do that more. And I just think time will tell. But I, I'm hoping that, you know, we all use this to kind of have a paradigm shift about bail and release altogether. Because, you know, my feeling is, and I, I, me and Brad talk about this all the time, presumptively that people should be out of jail. That's the presumption. There has to be a reason why you're in jail, you know? And I'm just hoping that we use this time to, you know, kind of reimagine that whole process. And we'll see in the coming months how it works.
And just from a from a practical standpoint, some of the the innovations that we've had in in let in you know electronic bonds, for instance, and that kind of thing is just you know it, it's not no longer you know that we have to wait for the lawyer to come. Maybe they can send us an email, and things just go quicker. That thing is, that has just been amazing. And you know, necessity is the mother of invention, right? And so what we've seen, I've heard a lot of of, of over the years. Oh, you know. We don't want to do, um, you know, electronic pleas or something like that, where you know, paperless files and things like that. And so we're just continuing to kill trees and destroy the environment. And we've seen that really work in 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 practice. And and this it was, and I had volunteered with the district clerk's office to do a test run of the electronic uh, file and not not having to bring files to court. And uh, for some reason, I don't know why it never happened, but all of a sudden we had to do it and we realized that it can work pretty well. There's a lot of things that can work pretty well. So just keeping an open mind about what we're doing and things that we've done, there's no reason just because the pandemic is over to change, to go back to the way we were thinking about what our criteria was for letting people out on bond or not embracing the things that we've had to do now that have made things you know, pretty good. And, is it good? Is some of it hard? Change is always hard, but some of it I think has worked out pretty well. And just it's going to be interesting to see as we go forward when we sit down and talk about what worked and what didn't work. Um, but I, I certainly think that you can see most of the judges have a different attitude about that list of people that you get every day in, you know, that are in jail and look at them. And the first question that you ask now maybe a lot of us did before, but just really ask now, does that person need to be in jail? Why that person is in jail? That's maybe the best shift that we've had probably in thinking. Judge Kosarek, you have your green box on. I didn't know if you were gonna oh. ask something. Well, I I just echo what they said, but I also believe that we have learned a tremendous amount during this period of time. We've learned to prioritize our cases. We pushed all of our non-jail cases out like till the end of mid-May and the initially. So they were put aside and we just focused on our jail cases because that population is what was really important. It was their life that was on the line. It was their, and we needed to, stop what we were doing and prioritize. And we learned how to do that. And we've learned all of this electronic um, bond signing and paper exchange. It is, I would love to know how many days or how, how many days that we've saved in jail just by doing it through electronic bonding because it's instant and people are getting out of jail faster. So that is one thing that will stick. And just, I really do believe that it's given us all a good perspective on what's important in life and the criminal justice system. Thank you so much, judges. Chaz, I think that we are coming to a wrap up. Are there any other questions that you want to pull out of the chat? Um, yeah, I think. I think if the questions in the chat have been answered, you know, um, again, I think the judges are doing um, really good work and I think they're all working collaboratively as, as much as they can. Um, so, so maybe Amanda and Kathy, maybe those top two questions and then we can just call it a night. 
So yeah, I see one question is from from Ann Howard, um, which which I think you all just just answered. Um, talking about what we can do in the future, um, and this question: um, There is a weekly COVID nineteen CJ and homeless coordination teleconference hosted by Echo that involves mental health public defender Cap DS, Integral Care, Travis County Sheriff's Office, and several other service providers um, coordinating getting people. Oh, that's just. Uh, that is just a memo for everybody. Um, so, so I think I think we can end on this note. Um, let's just do closing remarks from everybody, and then we'll call it a night. And thank you all. To, um, thank you to all the judges that joined us, and we look forward to working with you in the future. And um, on my screen, I have Judge Brown first. So we'll start with you with closing remarks, and then we'll just go down the line. Okay. Um, I just want um, everyone to know how hard we're working, and I have to tell you to you know kind of make sure that. This community is safe, that um, all persons, inmates, everybody is safe in this uh, unprecedented time. And that um, I, I couldn't have been, I couldn't be more proud to work with the people that I work with and to see everybody coalesce and work together the way we have and to do things. You know, like I started with, change is constant and it's, it's difficult, but I think that um, it's been remarkable how we've all adapted. And um, I'm so proud of the, the continued work that we do to try to uh, make this community safe for everyone. And so I just want everybody to know that uh, we're continuing to do this on an everyday basis. I thank the commissioner for her leadership um, in this uh, crisis. And um, I know we're going to come out on the other side. Thank you, Judge. Um, Judge Kokerit. You're still muted, Julie. I just want to thank all of you for hosting this. It's good for us to hear from the community and to, to let the community know what we have been doing. And I'm with Judge Brown. I have never been prouder of the efforts that have made as been made as a group by the judges trying to, we acted early, we got people out, and a lot of counties didn't do that. So, and we, we knew it was coming and we acted early before that governor's order. And communication is the key to innovation. And I like that we're communicating. I wanna keep this dialogue and my court is always open for anybody that wants to come visit and talk about ideas. Thank you. Thank you so much, Judge Grizar. Travis County has always been the leader in the state on releasing people on uh, personal bonds. We had one of the very earliest fully funded pretrial services offices in the state. Uh, our rate of releasing people on bonds is extremely high compared to other counties. Our appearance rate is, is very high as well. I believe in generally in sort of incremental approaches to improvement and this has had to uh, has kicked us in the rear and made us do big changes. And I think we're gonna all come out uh, better that even more people will, will be released on bond and there will be fewer people in jail going forward, even after we have the time to carefully consider, is this person gonna really come back to court? Is there a public safety danger? I think we're gonna weigh those things, but like Judge Brown, the presumption is strongly, almost everybody ought to be out of jail. And we all agree on that. Thank you, Judge. Um, Judge Hoengarten. 
Well, thank you uh, very much for letting me participate in this um, forum. And if there's if there are folks that have uh, additional questions about the mental health dockets on the misdemeanor side, you're welcome to email me. Uh, my name does have an extra H in it, um, but um, please let me know if you have any questions. I, I want to give a little bit of a shout out to um, Bradley Hargis and Vicki Ashley. Bradley is with the Capillary Private Defender and Vicki Ashley is with the County Attorney's Office. Um, as well as my mental health prosecutors. Um, they have been very proactive and they have worked together in ways um, that we have never seen. Even though we have a lot of collaboration in our community, I've been very happy to see how well people have sort of risen to the moment. And um, I think that um, maybe maybe we can continue to do some of that uh, even when the pandemic is over. Thanks a lot. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, Judge. Judge Brad. Yeah, first I just want to thank uh, Amanda and Kathy and uh, you, Chaz, for hosting this um, and for just kind of reminding me um, all the time, really, that, that, you know, we always need to talk about these things, always. And, and we don't always do, doing the, the same thing we've always done is not, the same, is not always the answer. We need to rethink what we're doing. And, and this, I, this has really brought that to the forefront. I know that we've talked about it before, all this, Amanda, before. And Chaz, I've, I've gone to some wonderful things that you've put on. And so I know that, that we, we've always talked about this, but this has really shown us the importance of this. And, and I'm interested to see all the, the result of everything we do here and what works and what didn't work. And so I'm just excited about the future. And, and Travis County has always been, and I'll echo what Judge Grizzard said, it, as long as I practice here, it's always been just at the forefront of that. But you know what? This has all taught us that we could still do better, even as good as Travis County was and is, uh, and is really a shining light in, in Texas justice, really, for a long time. Uh, but we can do better. We can always do better, and we can always reevaluate. And uh, your groups always remind us of that sometimes softly, sometimes loudly, sometimes uh, when, when we don't want to be reminded, but you always remind us that we can do better. And, and, and I think yeah. doing that, we can all go forward and, and, and just continue to do that well. Thank you, appreciate it. Uh, Judge Earl. I thought you were gonna say Beacon on a Hill. I thought you was gonna go with the old Ronald Reagan thing, man. God. I just want to echo what all my colleagues here have said and thank everyone. I appreciate each one of you and all of us continue to work well together and please stay safe. Thank you so much. And I think it's only fitting that we that we end how we started uh, with Judge Eckhart. And again, thank you so much for all the work you've been doing, uh, making sure that everybody can be safe as possible and making sure that we make um, um, smart and, and, and educated and scientific decisions as we try to get back to um, opening up. Um, so last but not least, Judge Eckhart will close us out. Are you you're on mute. Yeah, you're on mute, you're on mute. Wow, y'all missed it. I was so eloquent before I <laughs> um, 
uh, justice is a sharp and heavy sword. We don't look to swing it just at any old person. Um, uh, we don't want to keep people in jail. Uh, um, uh, we really only want to use it when it is a, a public safety threat, uh, a clear and present public safety threat. And we certainly don't want to create public safety threats uh, through the criminal justice system. Um, uh, uh, so during COVID-19, certainly we didn't want uh, any folks uh, to be in the jail that didn't have to be there. We don't want anyone to be in the jail who doesn't have to be there on a blue sky day. Um, so this disruption has taught us a lot about how we can do better. We do have a great reputation and a well-earned reputation and you can't live off a reputation. You gotta keep on innovating. Uh, and I really appreciate y'all pushing us at Travis County so that we can be an example. And I also really appreciate you pushing us at the state level. Our state spends less per capita on assisting people who uh, find themselves in hard times, who, um, uh, less on assisting people who have mental disabilities or behavioral health issues um, and, and uh, has over relied on the criminal justice system in particular, but also the civil justice system uh, to provide what meager assistance there is out there. Um, you have to take a, 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 a felony hit in order to get any assistance. Um, you have to become involved in the, in the child protective system uh, in order to get any assistance. And that's just wrong. And so I really appreciate y'all's continued advocacy uh, to help us to a better day. And <clears throat> thank you so much, Judge Eckhart. Um, I think that's a perfect way to end. Um, you know, thank you all for watching. This will be available tomorrow in, in multiple languages. So I encourage people to share um, to get the information out. Uh, I'm going out for my afternoon run, of course, with my mask on. Because um, to keep Austin weird, we have to keep Austin safe. Um, so everybody enjoy your evening, stay safe, um, and looking forward to seeing you all next week. Everybody Thank you, Chaz. Thank each and every one of you. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you, Kathy, Amanda. Thank you.